Welcome to the Urban Shepherds Podcast. We are a community of urban Christian pastors and leaders serving together to advance God's kingdom. This podcast is for men and women interested in being encouraged by lectionary teachings, inspirational stories, and a fellowship of urban believers. The Urban Shepherds Podcast Hour will include four brief scripture insights on each assigned weekly lectionary Bible text to help you understand God's Word, or if you're teaching on the text, it can help you prepare for the week's sermon. These studies are provided by Christian leaders from around the country. We'll also include some amazing testimonies, great ministry highlights, and interviews with people advancing God's kingdom in the city. Listen every week as we grow together as a movement of God's people. Okay, let's get ready for Advent Week 3. I'm so excited that you're going to hear from friends of ours that serve at Tapestry Church in Oakland, California. First, we're going to hear from Kyle Brooks in our Old Testament reading in Isaiah. And then Catherine Evans-Smith is going to give us our reading in the Psalms. So let's get started. Let's pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy come to help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. All right, let's get Kyle up first and let's hear from Isaiah. Welcome to the Urban Shepherds Podcast. My name is Kyle, and today we are going to be learning from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. It's Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. Let me read it for us. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be their crown on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Friends, all of us, at the end of the day, want to be joyful, don't we? 
We strive after happiness and joy in all kinds of ways, through family, through our jobs, through our homes, through our faith even, and through our fitness. I mean, have you ever seen one of those before and after photos from a diet plan or an exercise regimen? In the before, in the before picture, the, the person is, is overweight, uh, frowning, pale, and poorly lit. The after picture looks totally different. The person's body is fit and tan. It glistens as if they just finished a light workout. Right? They're usually smiling. They're telling you that more than their body has changed. Their perspective has changed too. The prophet Isaiah in our passage today is giving us a before and after picture. The Israelites are all too familiar with the before picture. They, they have been conquered by foreign armies, exiled into lands not their own. They've been controlled and oppressed. Their land, their, their home has been trashed. It's been laid waste to by interlopers who don't care about the land or see it as their home. It's just a resource to them. It's wilderness now. It's been sucked dry. It's desert. And their bodies suffer from, from physical maladies. Their, their souls suffer from despair and fear. Will they ever be free? Will they ever see their home again? Will they ever be out from under the thumb of their oppressors? And then everything, friends, everything in this passage be, be turns on this one phrase. Everything turns on this phrase. Behold, your God comes. Behold, your God comes. Friends, when, when God comes in Isaiah's prophecy here, wilderness, dry land, desert will turn into Lebanon, Carmel, Sharon, the, the author uses the three most fertile, lush, productive agricultural areas to give us a concrete vision of the flourishing of the land under God's reign. The desert will become a garden. The sand will become a blossom, and it will bloom so brightly that it will break out in song. And it's not just the land that's affected. People are affected too. Blind people will see Feeble people will get strong. People who can't hear, who can't talk, who can't walk will dance and sing and shout in their healing. And the people who are so far from home, who are exiles in someone else's land, will not only come home, they'll have the red carpet rolled out from them. It says that there will be a highway there. Now, highways are things that, that us city people get, right? And, and the crazy thing about this highway is that there is no traffic. There's no, can you imagine that? They get their own road. And it's called the way of holiness. And it's reserved for the people that God has purchased back from their captivity. They get to walk that road back to home with no fear, with no congestion, with no chance that they will be waylaid on the way. The result, the result, friends, of the after picture is not just the body, it's the smile. It's that unreserved, unmitigated joy 
Fertile land that was once dry rejoices in verse 2. Healed people who couldn't see, talk, hear, or walk rejoice in verse 6. Ransomed people who were once in captivity will have everlasting joy as their crown on their heads and happiness will overwhelm them. What an after picture, right? What an after picture. Isaiah imagined this after picture as a tangible return from exile. But what some didn't realize at the time was that God intended even more than that. You see, in Luke chapter 7, the disciples of John the Baptist come and ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been waiting for? John sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And the Bible says that at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to John's messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus draws on our passage here in Isaiah 35, as well as on a couple of other prophecies, saying basically that wherever he goes, people see Isaiah's great after picture. Wherever Jesus is, people are healed. Wherever Jesus is, the land is restored. Wherever Jesus is, the poor and oppressed hear good news. Basically, Jesus says, look at the after picture. You tell me whether you can put your hope in me. Friends, we are chasing that after picture in our lives in all kinds of ways. We, we think we will have the smile if only we have the body, if only we have the career, if only we have the house, if only we have the car, if only we have the spouse. In this Advent season leading up to Christmas, we can conflate that smile, that joy with with the gifts that we get, or even really wonderful time with our families. But Isaiah doesn't say, be strong, do not fear, behold your perfect career. No, he says, behold, God comes. And we know that because Jesus, the Son of God, came as a human being to earth, because he died on a cross, ransoming us from captivity to our selfishness, to our ugly coping mechanisms, our sins, and our separation from God, that we have everlasting joy as our crown. We have a happiness that overwhelms and overtakes us. As Frederick Buechner once said, joy is home. God created us in joy and created us for joy. And in the long run, not all the darkness there is in the world and in ourselves can separate us finally from that joy. That's true for us because, well, behold, God comes. Behold, God came in Jesus. And friends, behold, Jesus is coming again. And wherever he is, that after picture follows. We don't have to trust in our stuff We don't have to trust in the success of our ministries or the health of our families or the wealth in our bank accounts. Jesus has ransomed us from our captivity to sin and death. 
and his crown of thorns is our crown of everlasting joy. Friends, where do you feel in your life that you are dry, disabled, oppressed? Maybe that's literal for you or metaphorical for you, but whatever that is in your life, the Bible tells us to put our hope not in self-help mechanisms, not in health, wealth, or success, but to put our hope in Jesus because Jesus is God coming to us. And Jesus is coming again to set all things right. The after picture, the new heavens and the new earth is our destiny. Behold, God comes. Thanks, Kyle, for such a fantastic review of our Old Testament. And hey, if you guys want to hear more uh, from Kyle, uh, check out his Facebook, Kyle Brooks. uh, And even I'll put in the show notes, uh, check out the episode they did on Praise Hands uh, podcast and uh, YouTube channel uh, called Addressing Supremacy Through Unity and Diversity. It's Kyle Brooks and uh, Pastor Bernard Emerson uh, doing a great job, great interview. Uh, but look, look for more from Kyle in uh, Tapestry Church in Oakland, California. Okay, let's get ready for Catherine uh, with our Psalm scripture. I think you're really going to love this. Hi there, my name is Catherine Evans-Smith and I'm one of the pastors at Tapestry Church in Oakland, California. I'm going to share with you for the next few minutes about Psalm 146, uh, verses 5 through 10, which is the psalm reading for today. Now, we're looking at verses 5 through 10 of this psalm, but we can't really understand the full weight of these verses without looking at verses 1 through 4 as well. So I'm going to read the whole psalm to you as we get a f- uh, so we can get a full sense of what we're exploring. So here it is, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. So as you were listening, you might have caught on to the fact that the psalmist in Psalm 146 appears to set up a contrast for us between the trustworthiness of men and the trustworthiness of God. The psalmist tells the listeners in verses three to four not to trust in princes, in human beings who don't have the power to save and who are mortal and whose plans will come to nothing when they die. It's unclear to scholars 
um, whether there was any particular event or experience that prompted the writing of this psalm and these verses in particular, the ones referring to not trusting in princes. But if we study the history of the people of God who would have prayed and sung these psalms daily, we know that they have a repeated history of putting their ultimate trust in human beings, of becoming disillusioned with what God is offering them and deciding instead to turn and rely on the power and leadership of human beings, whether it was kings or religious leaders or just themselves. And we know that this misplaced trust often got them into difficult, dangerous and sometimes even deadly situations. So the psalmist is speaking into that it's possible um, when he's when he is uh, or she is writing these verses. He, the, the psalmist is saying, hey, don't put your trust in princes, in human beings, in mortal beings. Those who see those who um, see their help and their hope is in the God of Jacob, who put their trust in our one true God, who trust him. They are truly blessed. Don't trust mortal men, trust God instead. And then in verses 5 through 10, the psalmist goes on to list all the reasons why God is absolutely the right place to put their trust. These verses show us three central truths about who God is that give us some foundational reasons to trust God. Um, Those who were hearing these words uh, originally could hold tightly onto these truths when they heard them. And we now, as we hear them, can hold tightly onto them too. So the first reason that we're given, foundational truth that we're given about God that makes it trustworthy is this, is found in verse 6. God is the creator God is the maker of heaven and earth. God made all things out of his power and his wisdom and creativity and love. And God, the creator, intimately intimately knows and loves all that he has made and can be trusted to care for and be involved in all aspects of his creation. And this God, who is creator and maker of all things, he is uncreated. He has no beginning and no end, which sets him apart from human beings who are created and do have a beginning and an end. God can be trusted because he is powerful and creative enough to make all things, because he knows and is involved with all of those things that he's created, and because he, unlike human princes, will never die. God is the creator. The second reason the passage gives us for trusting God is seen also in verse 6, but is also pointed to in verse 5. God is faithful. We hear that in the second half of verse 6 quite explicitly. He remains faithful forever. But also in verse 5, God is referred to as the God of Jacob. God has a long history of remaining faithful and committed to his people. All the way back to Jacob, he has been faithful to his chosen people. But even before that, God's commitment is solidified to us, to his people, in the promise, the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis. 
when God makes a commitment to Abraham, to Abraham's family, and to all of Abraham's descendants. And then the the rest of the Old Testament is basically one long story of God's fulfillment of that promise to remain faithful and committed to his people, even when they are unfaithful to him. God is a God of steadfast, faithful commitment, and uh, a God who does not leave or abandon his people when things get hard or uncomfortable or risky or painful. He is a God that keeps his promises. Verse 4 of Psalm 146 tells us that princes, human beings, die, and when they die, all their plans die with them. Human beings let each other down. We are not promise keepers. We have the tendency to want to abandon plans and people and commitments when things get hard or better options come up. And so we should not place our ultimate trust in princes, in human beings. But God does not die does not abandon, does not break promises, and is utterly faithful to us, and therefore is completely trustworthy. God is the creator. God is the most faithful. And the third foundational truth that gives us reason to trust God is beautifully laid out for us in verses 7 through 9. God is a God who deeply cares about and fights for the physical, spiritual, and emotional well-being of his people, particularly those who are most regularly marginalized, sidelined, walked over, used and abused, or forgotten about. The people of God were familiar as a nation with what it was like to be oppressed, weak, and vulnerable. And They were also familiar with what it meant to be people who oppressed and ignored those who were weak and vulnerable. At many points in their long history, the people of God had been in some way one or the other of these groups, the oppressed and the oppressor. This psalm then is a message of hope and of challenge. Hope to those who are weak and vulnerable, of hope to those parts of us that are weak and vulnerable, and a challenge to those of us who find ourselves in power, uh, with power over others and attempt to misuse that power. God sees and God cares. This care and concern of God's for the weak and vulnerable is at the forefront of his mind, is of the highest priority to him. Princes, human leaders of the world, rarely, if ever, hold the the weakest and the most vulnerable of the world as their highest priority. They're supposed to, but they rarely, rarely have that as their priority. But God is angered by the ignored needs of the people, moved, in fact, to tangible action. The psalm tells us that God upholds the cause of the oppressed, provides food for the hungry, sets the prisoner free, restores the sight of the blind, lifts up the heavy hearted. And he actively seeks to frustrate, to disrupt the plans of those who are mistreating and oppressing others. This is a characteristic of God that we see all through the Bible. And most clearly we see it displayed to us in Jesus, who lived, who was born Um, and lived as a poor homeless man and who spent most, if not all of his time with the weakest, most vulnerable, marginalized and ignored people. In doing so, Jesus gave dignity and hope to those who who human beings uh, normally shame and dismiss. God is a God who sees 
identifies with and gives hope to those who would normally be forgotten about or those parts of ourselves that would normally regularly be dismissed, shamed or ignored. God is the creator. God is the most faithful. And God is a God who sees and fights for the most um, weak and vulnerable people and parts of ourselves. And these are truths about God that directly speak to us about why God is worthy of all of our trust. I think we can often find ourselves faced with the same choice about who we should place our ultimate trust in as the people of God did. Should we trust human beings or God? Where do we place our ultimate trust? In whom do we trust for our ultimate well-being, thriving, wisdom, guidance, direction, provision, love, acceptance? Do we trust human leaders, human institutions, human products, human promises, all of whom will fail or die or disappoint us eventually? Or do we turn to God, our creator, God, the most faithful, God who sees and fights for the weakest and most vulnerable, This Advent, let us be curious about where we lay our ultimate trust, who we give our ultimate trust to. Let us name how those humans we have trusted have let us down, have hurt or harmed us. And let us hopefully and expectantly long for the coming again of the one in whom we can most confidently place all of our trust. And this is Pastor David Estrada with Mosaic Life Church. And I would like to give you a few comments on our gospel reading in Matthew and also our New Testament reading in James. Let's begin with the uh, gospel reading. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11 begins. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow, what an ending. What a... Uh, uh, what a, a powerful word from the Lord about John the Baptist. I mean, man, if 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 he heard it himself, maybe through the grapevine, I bet you his 
his chest was puffed out and well, I don't know if he was a proud man or not. He was he was sort of crazy out in the wilderness. But this is such an amazing word. I love the imagery in this scripture and I love the the message that it gives to us uh, not only in uh, in this Advent season, but just living in the city, living among people who are always uh, struggling and suffering and and having trials and tribulations and and sometimes even uh, having issues with their faith. I mean, remember, this is the uh, different John, uh, same John, the purpose, the, the person from last week. Uh, John the Baptist. But remember last week in Matthew chapter three, we heard John out there in the wilderness and he's baptizing and, you know, he's preaching repent for the kingdom and, and and he's he's baptized Jesus. This is like, you know, he's superstar status. I mean, people are coming out to see him. He is, you know, his if he had a, a Facebook and Instagram, man, I mean, you know, he'd have been blowing up. You know, everybody is coming out to see him. But now we're in Matthew chapter 11. And John is in prison. He is uh, he's called out the king for wrongdoing and he's been put in prison. And now people are are, you know, nobody's following him anymore. He's he's locked up uh, and he has done what he wanted to do. He prepared the way he he preached the gospel. He got the people ready. But now he's locked up and eventually he's going to die in this prison. And so he's suffering. This is honest doubting. You know, suffering brings stress. And this is the most stressful that we see him being. And and not only did the suffering and the stress uh, wear on him, but it even weared on his faith. I mean, this is true uh, faith. This is when you get down and out, you you question your faith. If if you if you're if you haven't questioned your faith, you haven't been saved long enough. I mean, it is going to happen. It is going to happen to not only you, but the people you're discipling, the people that are are loving Jesus as best they can. But then hard times come. But what did Jesus speak about? You know, it was so great that Jesus didn't, you know, and as many times he answers uh, you know, sort of a, a not straight, but but answers a question with a question. And the question that he asked him, of course, was, you know, uh, you know, the question was, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. What did they hear and see? Blind being receiving sight, lame walking, uh, people being cleansed, deaf hearing, dead being raised, good news being proclaimed to the poor. This is what should be happening in the church and in our faith and in our lives. Change should always be happening because Jesus brings change. If you want to see uh, uh, the Lord living and breathing in our lives, then we've got to expect change. We've got to expect turnover. We've got to expect things always uh, uh, happening in our life. And you know what? Just like this in John, sometimes it's not the best. Sometimes the change in our lives is uncomfortable. Sometimes the change in our lives hurts. And this is the life of a believer. I know and, and I hope that you know that when we receive eternal uh, salvation, when we receive eternal life in heaven, 
guess what? There's no more crying. There's no more suffering. But while we're here, suffering is going to happen. And that that also leads us uh, into the the James chapter five verse. You know, it talks not only about the suffering that we're all going to uh, uh, going to receive while we're here on earth, but it also talks about how do we deal with it. In John or um, James chapter five verses seven through ten, it says, "Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains." You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We have got to be patient. You know, I love the uh, imagery of even the farmer. You know, the farmer is being patient, waiting for, on for uh, those seasons uh, to come. But, you know, he's not, uh, he's not, he doesn't have uh, 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 waiting and, and faith for no reason. He's planted seeds. He's done the work. He has he has plowed the fields. He has, he has done everything that he can do. And only the Lord can bring the rains. Only the Lord makes those seeds grow. But he's done what he can do. And that's exactly what we have to do in our suffering, in our lives. We do what we can do. We live as Christians. We live as Christ. And yet we still will live in suffering. But we've got to be patient. And then I love, again, uh, what it says, you know, one of the one of the most encouraging things or discouraging things that we can ever have is in our suffering, our brothers and sisters coming down on us, our brothers and sisters not encouraging us, talking about us. You know, why? Why is it all this suffering? And, you know, he mentioned Job, his his friends doubting what and what he's done and how he's serving God. You know, just be encouraged. Listen, if you're in a season of suffering, if you are in a time that you may have honest doubting, be encouraged. You have planted the seeds. Do what you can do, but believe that God is faithful. God wants you to receive transformation in your life, new life abounding. I hope this has blessed you today, and I just want you to be encouraged and blessed in the city. Well, thank you for joining us for the Urban Shepherds podcast. I hope this has been an encouragement to you, whether you are studying God's word through the lectionary text or preparing for Advent sermon. Join us each week as we hear from leaders all over the country on these texts. And don't forget to subscribe. We will let you know everything that's coming up. And I just want to say God bless you in the city.